I like learning about like how to play the games. There's like there's one called Space Race where you like have to keep your eyes ahead of um, the ship while also telling it to go left and right with your eyes too. The ship always goes forward and it gets faster. It can get pretty challenging. You see how far you can get. This episode, eye tracking video games as therapy for autism. You're listening to Spectrum Stories, the podcast from Spectrum, the leading source for news and expert opinion on autism research. I'm Ben Kiebrick, the new host of the show. I used to work in neuroscience research myself, and now I'm a public radio reporter. In this episode, why two researchers think video games are the perfect tool to train attention. But can these games for autism succeed where other brain training software has failed? Will the skills transfer out of the game world and into real life? And we'll discuss a new and innovative program for students on the spectrum to gain work experience creating video games. That's all coming up. Games are perfect because you can send them home. People will play the games if they're fun. That's Jean Townsend. She's director of the Research on Autism and Development Lab at the University of California, San Diego. Townsend studies attention in autism. We had identified through the years a number of specific kinds of attention that are problematic in people on the spectrum. You've got some earphones on, but if if somebody behind you called your name, name. uh, you'd immediately orient attention to that sound and you would probably turn your head. But for someone on the spectrum, particularly a child, it might take a second or two to react. That's too long in our dynamic world, particularly in social situations. So that's an attentional function that can be improved. Townsend's research shows that attention is very trainable, much like the motor system. But it takes a lot of work, which is why her attention is now focused on video games. It takes a long time. It takes distributed practice. So games were just kind of a natural because they're engaging and it, it replaces uh, coming into the lab over and over and over again for a treatment. And uh, the idea just sort of evolved. Townsend isn't a gamer, but the lab's assistant director, Leanne Chakowsky, dabbles in them. I've played a lot of Pokemon Go, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't really, I wish I had more time for games. I have two boys that are 15 and 12, and they play a a wide variety of games, and so I get to enjoy watching them play, but um, I'm really bad at it, honestly. (laughs) The video games that Townsend and Chakowsky are developing and studying aren't conventional games. So the video games that I think um, you know, brought us to this uh, are, are video games that you play with your eyes. You know, instead of a mouse, instead of a touch screen, you actually use your eyes. Eye tracking games are of interest because people on the spectrum move their eyes differently than neurotypical people. Remember Townsend's example of turning your head when someone calls your name? Your name! Eye movements are also an important part of orienting to that call. Individuals on the spectrum from very earliest days have challenges with that orienting. And we feel that it's something that's very trainable, particularly through uh, the use of eye movements to get on target quickly. Townsend and Chakowsky hope that this kind of training will not only make eye movements more precise, but also hone a child's ability to switch focus when the situation calls for that. 
Improving these fundamentals could help people on the spectrum more easily navigate social settings where there are often many demands on their attention. There's nothing more dynamic than talking to a bunch of people in a group and there are different sounds and sights going on and you have to shift your attention about very quickly in order to follow what's going on or to, to participate. And they're currently putting the idea that eye-tracking games can train attention to the test. They recently published a small pilot study. It was an eight-week trial. We, we had eight kids enter in. Two actually were unable to finish, but uh, six kids did. We had a series of three games that they played for um, 30 minutes, five times a week. The three games all use eye-tracking software and involve looking at specific places on the screen. In Space Race, which we heard a bit about in the intro, players guide a spaceship using their eyes. Space Race is designed to train fast gaze shifting. In the second game, Shroom Digger, players need to locate specific mushrooms in a crowded scene and then blow them up by staring at them. Shroom Digger strengthens the ability to hold a steady gaze. The third game, Mole Whack, is designed to improve inhibitory control, the ability to stop yourself from doing something. Players have to dart their eyes to whack mischievous moles while avoiding whacking bespectacled professor moles. It also features this funky soundtrack, which we can enjoy while the human professors explain their results. Tchaikovsky says that before the trial, the six children had attention problems beyond what would be expected for their age. They also had trouble fixating their eyes or keeping them steady on a point. But that got better over the course of the trial. All of them improved in their attention skills from um, below what was like 95% confidence interval for their age up into or above that range. And similarly with eye movement behavior, they had a massive change in their ability to fixate steadily, which you have to be ready to make the next movement and steady fixation is part of that. And this preliminary study suggests that training with the games improves performance of eye movements and even some measures of attention outside of the game environment. Children showed improvements on a spatial attention test called the E-Task. This neuropsychological test involves paying attention to visual cues and responding appropriately with a joystick. To be very clear, the measurements that we're using to say that behavior got better are objective measurements outside the game environment, right? So, so there's at least transfer to um, tasks that are measuring attention that do not involve eye tracking. They've moved on to a larger clinical trial, which is ongoing. It'll have around 30 people, but it doesn't have controls yet. The next step would be what uh, NIH calls a confirmatory efficacy trial, which would be a large clinical trial um, with some sort of placebo control. What they've learned from these preliminary trials goes beyond the data they've collected. It's shown them what young people with autism can contribute to game development and has started them on a new mission to tap that talent. So early on in, in our clinical trial, we didn't have a, a lab uh, manager yet. And so I was often the one going out into families' homes and installing the computer, and I got to see the families regularly, and particularly the, the, the players of our video games. And they were often teens or young adults. And I get to know them well enough that they'd say, hey, can I show you the video game I made? And I was like, wow, you made a video game? And, and I get to see art or an actually fully fleshed out video game, and it was amazing. And it, it made me stop and think that, you know, these folks really ought to be plugged in to the workforce. What's going on? Why, why are they not engaged? 
And it was just like this bad dream. Like every now and then I'd meet, I'd meet another kid, I'd go to their house and they're showing me their art or their video games or like just some really talented creation of, and that is not making it into the public sphere. And as, we have to fix this. We have to do something about this. This is uh, problematic. Tchaikovsky mentioned her desire to help people with autism who are interested in making games at a public talk she was giving last summer at a park in San Diego, part of a series put on by the Fleet Science Center. They had an exhibit called Game Masters, and they were highlighting people in the community who were using video games in their research. And I mentioned that, you know, we were, we, you know, we took in interns and that it was my dream to start an internship program that would help um, individuals get jobs or at least, you know, give them some more work experience so that they get further along that path. When the lecture finished, a young man approached her. After the talk she gave, uh, I asked her if I could intern with her. That's Nassim, a 20-year-old sophomore at Mesa College who now interns in the lab. He came up to me by himself. I was really impressed. He's a college kid still. He's not yet, you know, on his own. And he said, I, I would like to be an intern in your lab. And I said, that's good enough for me. For as long as Nassim can remember, he's loved video games. I played Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, <laughs> and I, I think that's one of the games I played a lot. It was like a Donkey Kong platformer, but it was kind of simple because you would control it with bongo drums, and you'd tap each side of the bongo drum to, to go different directions. Nassim was diagnosed with autism when he was in elementary school. I don't know, I just remember being taken out of class a lot to do tests. It doesn't really change much, I guess, except for things like uh, maybe like the social aspects, like sometimes uh, when I have problems with things, I don't really talk about it. Nassim is studying multimedia design at Mesa College. Through that program, he's been able to create his own video games and work on their art and design, skills that he's using in the lab. There was a ghost game that they were going to have, and I made like this thing that looked like a had like vacuums on both sides and it was like this thing that looked like a machine that would like suck in the ghosts so i just like kind of drew it out on illustrator if i can keep doing this type of stuff that'd be cool for work nasim's been working in townsend and chikowski's lab throughout the year and this summer he's part of their first formal internship program we're trying uh, as best we can in this first year to provide a rich uh, workplace experience where the interns are working together in groups, uh, recognizing that everyone has different skills to bring to a group project. The internship program is designed to help young people on the spectrum get work experience and practice collaborating on projects. They're divided up into teams, each of which researches and creates its own game. And, and the ultimate goal would be to have uh, placements with industry to find community contacts, uh, businesses who are willing to uh, participate and take on people. The internship program is new, but Townsend and Tchaikovsky have been working with people on the spectrum for years. And they've seen that finding a job can be challenging for those lab members. Through the years, we have had um, adults on the spectrum in our lab just one at a time or one or two at a time. And it's been um, very difficult for us uh, to see these young adults struggle to get a job. Uh, they're often really bright and really competent. It's very, very hard for them to get a job at uh, a level that would be satisfying to them. 
just a disconnect in terms of a lack of a network and um, not faring well in the interview. Whereas what we're seeing, it's early days, but what we're seeing in the lab, these guys are super hardworking. They're working together. They're enjoying their work. They're motivated. They're doing research on their own. I'm, <laughs> I'd like to keep all of them. That's it for this episode of Spectrum. Many thanks to Sarah DeWeert. This story was based on her reporting. You can read her piece, How to Game the Search for Autism Treatments, on Spectrum's website. Also thanks to Corey, another intern I interviewed for the piece, and thanks to the Spectrum team. If you enjoyed this episode, think about leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.